Okay, hello everybody and welcome to Investing with IBD sponsored by OnTrack. Today is Wednesday, June 16th. And on today's show, we've got Larry Cordisco. He is the co-CIO of Core Equity at Osterweiss Capital Management. Larry, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you. All right, so really looking forward to digging into your perspective on the market and the investing methodology that you use at Osterweiss and to talk about a couple of stocks. We're going to dig into your take on Amazon, AMD, and Aptiv. But first, let's start out with the current market. For the video version here, I'm pulling up the S&P 500 on MarketSmith. So we did see the S&P fall about a half a percent today, but major indexes closing off of their lows, a little bit of extra volatility around the Fed announcement today, Larry. But let's take a step back and give me your take from your perspective, what's been going on uh, in the market this year, which is a very different market than we saw in 2020, especially for growth investors. Yeah, thanks, Allie. Going into this year, it really did seem like a setup for us for more cyclically based companies. I think we're probably a little bit surprised at the um, the degree to the moves that we've seen with some of those companies, but certainly with vaccinations and cyclical recovery and maybe a little bit more uh, fiscal intervention with the government, the setup was there. And a lot of people talked about it, I think, going into the year that, that that's where the valuation and opportunities were. Um, it seems to us, though, the catch-up trades have pretty much played out, um, and this is one of the reasons that the market's sort of churning at these levels here for the last, you know, couple months or so, you know, and the valuation backdrop is also not, you know, super favorable. We're trading at about 20 times 22 earnings, you know, calendar year 2022. So all that being said, and with this big struggle between inflation and growth and peaking growth or not peaking growth. And frankly, nobody really knows. There's a really wide spectrum of views on what's going to happen with the economy and with inflation. I think that's a lot to do with why we're sort of running in place with all these kind of wild rotations that happens any given day or week. So it seems like you think that this could be a pretty pivotal moment in the market for uh, growth investors. It seems like we are seeing a little bit of the rotation uh, back into the names that we saw that were working last year in technology, seeing signs of life in enterprise software, in the chip space. And I know we'll, we'll get to a AMD in a little bit, uh, not, not performing like how uh, NVIDIA has really been going on a tear lately. But it seems like this could potentially be a, a pivotal time in, in the rotation? It could be. And I think it really is going to depend on what happens with inflation. You're absolutely right that the technology stocks have done a little bit better recently. Um, we've seen it in our portfolios, and you can certainly see it in the, in, in the uh, indices. And I think that really has to do with this general view that inflation is transitory. It will be peaking over the next you know, quarter or so. And as we get into the fall and the market being a forward looking machine, right? As we get into the fall, we're going to see a pretty big deceleration in inflation rates. That's generally a view that we share. I, I don't think we have an out of consensus view, but if you do think that growth, you know, is peaking in terms of the, the, the acceleration of the recovery and that inflation is peaking, supply chains work themselves out, then I think that does set up very well for 
a sustained period of lowish interest rates, which is very supportive of tech stocks. One other point I would make is that the reason also that's pretty important is as growth becomes more scarce, the companies that are growing become more valuable, right? And so it's a two-pronged effect with both interest rates and the scarcity of growth. And that's how we view a, a pretty positive backdrop to growth stocks uh, as we get in the back half of the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's the backdrop. Now let's talk to the audience a little bit more about the perspective at which you're viewing the companies that you want to be in to uh, add to portfolios. You're taking a little bit more of a long-term approach, but uh, give us the lowdown on the Osterweiss approach. Yeah, so we we do focus on growth. Um, it's uh, in our view, very hard to lose money if you have a competitive advantage company that's growing and has secular tailwinds. We have a bias towards these secular tailwinds because it's a, it's a tangible um, trend that you can make an investment thesis around and you're not as beholden to sort of the, uh, the herky-jerky nature of macro economy sort of trends you know, and influences on stock prices. So we put a lot of work on competitive advantages, a lot of work on long-term earnings growth. And, um, and we basically forecast out three to five years to where we think a company, uh, company's earnings can go. And we think about what kind of multiple that company would get at the point at that point. And we just count that back to decide whether or not that's a good investment candidate for us. So that, that's a basic framework of how we approach our investment process. Mm -hmm. And uh, before we got started, you and I were talking a little bit about uh, William O'Neill and Company, IBD's now former uh, sister company, but talking about the different fundamental metrics that you use, you talk about uh, how that earnings growth is so very important for you, but what sort of other metrics that maybe are audience uh, would be familiar with on that fundamental side, are you really looking at when you're screening stocks? Well, so it's interesting. We don't really start with too many quantitative screens. What we do is we identify there's about 300 to 350 companies uh, in the, let's call it in the, out of a couple thousand, right, in our investable universe that we've identified as industry leaders or highly disruptive companies. And we basically monitor these companies until there's a point where either we think there's a really big inflection in its growth rate, where again, this three to five year valuation you know, framework can be justified. Or what often happens is they hit sort of a, a slowdown, deceleration growth. And so these are companies where there's a lot of uh, information and data to support the business model, but maybe a little bit of a maturity in its current growth cycle and a pause. That's a situation where there's often, you know, momentum investors who leave the stock, you get an underperformance in shares and a deceleration in growth rate. And that is a, that right there is a screening criteria. So if you, if you I guess you think about the one quantitative thing we do, we, we have these 300 companies or so, and we're looking for periods of multiple compression, valuation compression, and stock price underperformance, which we find are pretty good entry points on uh, really good companies. So when you sum it up, we are pretty valuation conscious. I call us kind of Garpy in that sense. Um, and we use this methodology to find really good entry points and excellent companies. Mm -hmm. And so with the growth approach and seeing 
so many uh, cyclical stocks being the really the shining stars this year. I think that that that's been one of the struggles for for growth investors and you know especially the the canceling style position traders uh, that that follow IBD closely. But what would your advice be for those who maybe haven't seen uh, that outperformance from? growth this year, even though over the long term, it is very compelling to focus on that strong, the strong stories and the strong fundamentals. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, because it's almost like you've been sitting in our research meetings, right? This has been the, the big topic of conversation for us. It's been a very difficult year, obviously, for growth investors. This is not where the um, action has been. And, and really, if you go back, maybe you know, even beginning of the pandemic, there's really been three really big trades in the pandemic. The first was the crash and then the recovery, which benefited a very particular set of companies. Then there was the reopening trade, which benefited a totally different set of companies. And more recently, there's been the inflation trade, which has benefited a third set of companies. And so if you're sitting there saying, okay, I'm gonna get each of those trades right, I think that would have been pretty hard to do. But if you look back and, and sort of infer this into your question, if you look back over the last 20 years, most of the time, growth investing has outperformed. There have definitely been these periods of time where cyclicals and value have shown and really had great catch-up trades. But most of the time, it's been the growth companies that have outperformed. And so as we went into this year, kind of seeing this setup that we talked about, which wasn't super favorable to our strategy, we said, sometimes you're just gonna have to take a punch because are we gonna rotate out of Google and Amazon and Microsoft and, and you know, take tax gains to play a trade, you know, which frankly, would have we saw it coming, but again, didn't think it'd be this strong. And then get back in those names next year or at the end of this year, it's a really, that's really hard to do. And frankly, I don't know that, you know, most humans are, are super equipped to do that. So I think this is a period of time for people who are growth investors, just to be patient, uh, know what you own, plan for again, a two to three year horizon of where earnings and, and fundamentals can go with these companies. I think the time in the sun, you know, these stocks will, will get their time in the sun again, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and do the homework. Be patient, like you said, Larry. Uh, so very important. Well, we're going to continue the conversation with Larry when we come back after this break. OnTrack is a behavioral health care company that identifies members who need more care and treats them for up to 52 weeks. With therapist-led care, members return to health. Payers get a return on investment. Help is here. OnTrack. Better together. Find out more at ontrack-inc.com. Welcome back to Investing with IBD, sponsored by OnTrack. Ali Corum here with our special guest this week, Larry Cordisco. So, Larry, let's put the current market action into perspective. And we love talking about historical precedents on this show, whether it's a historical market precedents or for an individual stock. But you've done some research on the current market and how this divergence that we've been seeing uh, compares to other periods in market history. Yeah, it, you know, we've heard it's sort of put in a couple different ways. It's a market with, with no memory from one day to the next, or it's an either or market, or, you know, 
there's an old Wall Street adage that whenever you think you have the, the keys to the market, the, the market changes the locks, right? And the, the locks are being changed on almost a daily basis, basically. And that, that it's, it's very strange stuff. You know, most of us on our team have been in the investing, investing business for 20 plus years. And it, we don't really remember a time like this. So we went back and we, we just looked at how many times, if you just look at the, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ and the Russell 2000, how many times does one of those indexes diverge by hundred basis points, either outperforming or underperforming from the other? So there's, you know, there's really an outlier any given trading day. And since the market got back to re basically recaptured all of its losses in September from the lows, since that time, where you know we basically say, okay, we're even from from the pandemic. There have been 90 days where one of those indices has outperformed or underperformed the others. And to put that in perspective, that's about half the trading days or so uh, of, of that period. And that is a lot. So if you look back over the last five years, it typically happens about 25 trading days a year between 20 and 25, roughly 10% of the time. And here we're at 50% of the time. So this is a very remarkable uh market that we're currently living through and which is one of the reasons it's been so difficult to figure out i think for day traders and long-term investors mm -hmm. so what's an investor to do then you know being armed with that information how does that impact the decision making process well we're not short-term investors anyways but if anything it makes it even harder <laughs> in our view to be a short-term investor so this is where I, you know, we take a deep breath, we sit back and say, look, it's almost impossible for us to read the tea leaves in any given day to say, you know, is this a, a, a sustainable break in the market? Um, is the market trying to tell us something is uh, more of a, a sustainable, long lasting move? And for example, should we be actually working a lot more in cyclicals to decide if this is a multi-year trend? Because these trades are so volatile, they peter out so quickly, it's really hard to discern any real long-term view from that. And I think, to me, that's the biggest lesson. In some ways, if, if it, these, this volatility is going to give people heartburn and keep them awake at night, maybe the lesson is don't, don't let the market drive you crazy, right? To your point earlier, stick to your process. And if it's not working right now, I think it's more of a function of the market than what works for any individual investor or, or investment strategy in the current environment, right? So that's probably the biggest takeaway. Just know that this is pretty remarkable. It is. Uh, the last, you know, 18 months or so have, have felt in a lot of ways uh, very groundbreaking or, or new uh, to a lot of investors. So it, you've, you've kind of had to really roll with the punches. Uh, and this year, in, in recent months, it seems like almost daily punches are being thrown with the group. The rotations are just happening so quickly. Uh, so it really underscoring, as you were saying, the, the difficult conditions that we uh, are in, but also taking another step back. We talked a little bit uh, in the last segment about inflation. Give us your take on how that is expected to impact market conditions or areas of strength in the market over the next six to 12 months. Yeah. So earlier this year, you know, we have a big bond shop at our at our uh, at our firm as well. So 
we've consulted with them a lot on just the outlook with interest rates and inflation and sort of what sort of expectations are built in. Um, and so we've been working on this basically since the beginning of the year when we started hearing a lot of talk from the companies we own about inflation, about supply chain bottlenecks. And when you combine it with how quickly the recovery has happened, it's, it's, it's a, it was a real recipe for this type of inflation that we're seeing now. So I can't say it was super unexpected. Maybe the fact that we saw, you know, four and 5% CPI prints, maybe that sort of caught people a little bit, of, you know, uh, by surprise. But certainly um, there were a lot of market trends that were kind of signaling this was going to happen. So when we dug into the numbers, we look at a few things. The first is what's the base effect, which means basically it's like a year over year comparison, right? We are in the depths. So last year was the biggest deceleration in inflation this month, or it was May. And this year is the biggest acceleration. That gap had a big influence on the recent CPI numbers. But if you look underneath, all the big categories outside of this base effect, it was used cars, it was travel, it was the type of things where you've had a rapid uh, recovery in demand and you also have very significant supply chain disruptions. So we really think there's this, this mismatch of supply and demand at the moment. Um, and then further, what we looked at, we looked at the um, forward price curves for a whole basket of commodities, all of them are in backwardation. So what that basically means is those finance in those financial markets, buyers of copper and iron ore and lumber and agricultural products are all pricing significant uh, declines in the prices of those commodities next year compared to this year. That doesn't mean it's a guarantee that's going to happen, but it does tell you that inflation expectations for those markets are lower tomorrow than they are, than basically where those prices are today. All of that to us sets up for transitory inflation as we get through the end of this year. After that, you know, we'll see. It's a lot of it's going to depend on the stickiness of wage inflation, but the really big prints in CPI are probably going to be decelerating as we get through that in the fall and into the early winter. Right. And, uh, at IBD, as growth-focused momentum traders, we have been looking a lot at these cyclical plays, the the commodity-driven plays, you know, in oil and gas, uh, and steel, mining, and we've talked about how even though many of these stocks in these areas have had such strong moves, really since last November. Commodity plays can be tricky because they are tied to what, what's happening in the commodity market. And so we, we saw this week uh, some miners getting hit. Mm -hmm. So, it, yeah, so that uh, can be something that you have to really grapple with as well if you are playing in those areas. But I want to go back to earlier you were talking about not having your hand forced yet in getting out of big tech names like Amazon and Microsoft and Google, even though we've been in this uh, choppy period at best for growth stocks um, over the last couple of months. But what sort of signals do you look for or what when do you determine the time that you do want to either scale, scale back or get out of a stock if it isn't a period like this? Yeah, so I mean, it's really fundamentally driven for us. You know, it, 
Now, certainly from a technical standpoint, or if you want to look at a stock, you know, a particular action in the stock price, if you've had a really big move and a stock looks really extended and we can't quite get there on valuation, right? That may be a time when we decide to scale back the size of our position. But as long as we really like the fundamental story and the competitive advantage, the, the market opportunity that we think that company is looking at, you know, it's rare that we would completely exit a position. Um, so that's, that's the way we've been kind of working through this. Now, going into this year, we did increase our exposure to cyclicals quite a bit. Now, we focus mostly on transportations and rails. Uh, those types of things. Uh, basically, what we're looking for industries where it's a market leader. So, you know, it's a recurring theme with us. And in those situations, we're really looking for a setup where there's a low cost provider scale advantage where input costs can be absorbed across a big base of business. And then the company also has pricing power. So that's why, you know, the, the, these transportation leaders like, you know, Union Pacific and Federal Express they're the ones that have caught our attention in that type of way because we feel like we can hedge out some of this inflation risk that's sort of, you know, you know, boiling underneath the surface here. Um, but, you know, net net, it, it did not lead us to commodity names or materials names in any sort of outsized way because it's really hard to identify the competitive advantage of those companies. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that this is a perfect lead into our third segment where we can really dig into those competitive advantages that you're seeing for Amazon, AMD, and Aptiv. So we'll get to that after this break. Sometimes people need more help, but sometimes they're hard to find, hard to reach, and hard to treat. OnTrack identifies these people and delivers behavioral health care for up to 52 weeks care designed to produce long-lasting outcomes. Members get a return to health. Health plans get a return on investment. Help is here. OnTrack. Better together. Find out more at OnTrack-inc.com. Welcome back to Investing with IBD, sponsored by OnTrack. Allie Quorum here with Larry Cordisco. Now, Larry, you are taking a uh, bit of a long-term view on companies with strong fundamentals and earnings prospects. And Amazon is one of the companies that you have your sites squarely focused on. So give us your take on why Amazon, even though it's really been trading sideways since last summer, is a stock that you want to own in your portfolio. Yeah. So big Part of what we talked about earlier is, you know, some of the short-term focus in the market and, you know, where these inflections are in the inflation or economy or recovery or reopening has really attracted a lot of fast money. We think that some of these market leaders, which are a little less exciting because they're so consistent, have kind of gotten lost in the mix. And Amazon is a really good example of that. You know, I don't have to explain it to anyone. We, we all know that Amazon, what Amazon is, and it's gotten amazing competitive advantages, both in scale and in, in the type of data that it collects from, from, its, uh, from its users. Um, and what I really come back to is, again, what sort of secular trends can you build an investment thesis around? E-commerce is not going to change, and that is expected to continue to grow 15 to 20% well into the future. The other thing that maybe is a little less appreciated with Amazon is they have a really scaling, a, a largely scaling 
digital advertising business. It's about $20 billion last year. It grew over 60%. We think that could be a $100 billion business in the next couple of years. And to give you a sense of what kind of margins that has relative to the existing business, you know, e-commerce is a five to six, 7% margin business. Digital advertising is a 35 to 40% business. So as you layer on those profits and have the cloud business that continues to grow, you end up getting this sort of story where, okay, 2025, 2026, you're getting in this, you know, $150 of free cash flow per share. Now, historically, it has not mattered very much where interest rates are within, you know, a normal band. Companies like that very typically trade with like a 3% free cash flow yield, right? And if you do the math on that, you're talking around a $5,000 stock. We think that's a pretty nice setup given what the risk is, which isn't a lot of risk. Um, what's going to disrupt these trends? I mean, the biggest thing we worry about is regulatory uh, you know, oversight. Mm -hmm. um, there's nothing material that we can point to and say that, that you know, something's impending that changes the story. And so we come back to all these secular tailwinds. And the last thing I guess I'd say, because I, I only reference cloud sort of in passing, but if you look at the degree to which data processing and data centers are growing, and then you combine it with the fact that these big cloud providers like Amazon, Google, and Microsoft, and Amazon's the largest one, only have about 15 to 20% share. So as that share continues to shift to the cloud providers and data processing continues to grow, and this is really hard to wrap your brain around, but that business could be 10 times larger in 10 years. So it's you know, when you get to this sort of, okay, $150 free cash flow per share in 2024, 2025, or whatever, you know, sort of time frame that you get to, you're still in the middle of this S curve where, you know, that number is going to be doubling the following four or five years after that. That's one of the reasons we think Amazon is such a core holding and a ballast holding in a growth portfolio. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so huge, huge growth prospects. And also Amazon has so many tentacles, even just beyond its core businesses, getting into healthcare, competing in that market. It seems like it is just growing in, into different verticals. At what point is the growth uh, eventually going to slow? Or does that just seem so far into the future that it, it can't even really be predicted when, when Amazon's going to slow down in a meaningful way? Well, you touched on one, you touched on an interesting way to think about it, which is we don't know. And, and that's because Amazon is one of these companies where there's a lot of embedded optionality in the business, whether it's healthcare or some other, or, you know, streaming media, you know, we, we, who doesn't use Amazon Prime and that could become a lot bigger as well. There is just blue sky optionality in this business. They've established themselves as a leader in so many different categories that at the, you know, at this current valuation, this current viewpoint of, of where free cash flow is going, I'd say the, the, the risk is to the upside, you know, if you want to call it that, uh, the numbers could be better going forward and, and probably not worse than what we're thinking. Do you uh, concern yourself at all with 
trying to predict what could be a short-term catalyst for a stock, given that you have such a long-term view? Uh, if so, what do you think could be a short-term catalyst here for the business? Uh, when you're looking at the technical action, we've seen improvement for the stock in the last couple of weeks, getting back above its 10-week moving average. And for those of you watching the video version of the podcast, flipping on over to the daily chart, uh, seeing it get back above that uh, 3,400 level and closing in on its highs from the around the last quarterly report at the end of April. But uh, yeah, Larry, talk to us about perhaps a short-term catalyst that you may be looking at for a company yeah, like so, this. So a macro catalyst, again, we come back to inflation and declining inflation expectations, right? I think that's a positive for them. Uh, the other one is, and, and I think the stock chart is, is reflecting, look, there was a big jump in their business during the pandemic. This was a work from home, a live from home, I'm, I'm, an, I'm trapped at home sort of play, <laughs> right, on, on the world. And I think that it's consolidating those gains. You know, stocks like this, you end up having situations where you're going again year over year, there's a, going to be a deceleration in the growth rate. It's, it's just what it is. I think as we get through, you know, the year-over-year -year comparisons that become really difficult and the growth rate starts to accelerate again, I think that would be a catalyst for getting the stock really moving again. And just taking a quick look at the monthly chart, uh, very impressive move for the stock at, as a long-term holder. That's uh, what you want to see are those, those kinds of long-term returns. But now let's shift our attention to AMD in the chip sector. When I think of chip sector, the leader that I think of is NVIDIA. And for a period of time, you know, I think before this year, it really seemed, uh, you know, from a stock performance perspective and, and even uh, uh, product development perspective, NVIDIA and AMD were really trading punches. Uh, and that may still be the case on the product offering side, but AMD has been taking a break while mm -hmm. NVIDIA has really revved up. Yeah. And so NVIDIA is a fabulous company and, and, you know, they do overlap in terms of the gaming graphics card business, right? So retailer, you know, people at home, consumers playing games on their computers can choose between either of those graphics cards. And actually they're pretty competitive in terms of um, capabilities and pricing, but where they diverge is in the enterprise business. And so, you know, what they sell to enterprise customers. NVIDIA's graphics, NVIDIA's just done an incredible job of adapting their cards for high, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning, accelerated computing inside a data center. And they've really built this amazing software ecosystem around their product. It's vertically focused. If you're in healthcare, there's one set of solutions. If you're in energy, there's another set of solutions. So there's really, you can't argue they are the leader in this data center world. Where AMD's data center business is focused is on unseating Intel. So it's a very different kind of market. It's the x86 market. You know, it's the, the general purpose chips that go into your computer, but they also are used extensively in the data center. And that is the story for AMD. It is basically the Intel slayer in the data center market. And a couple of things have held back AMD stock relative to NVIDIA over the last you know, six months or so. One has been 
Intel, this perception, which we do not buy into, that Intel is on the verge of a resurgence. We just don't see it. And, you know, the AMDs basically has a process lead. Basically, they, the way they make their chips with Taiwan Semiconductor is better than the way Intel makes its own chips. And there's an architecture advantage. You know, Intel has these big monolithic chunks of chips that suck a lot of energy and they can't shrink them down. In AMD has chiplets, these little versions of the chips that all talk to each other. Between those two advantages, we don't see AMD getting caught anytime soon by Intel. And data center customers have been dying to have a second vendor for a long time. So even though Intel has a new CEO, they're talking a lot about fixing their story. We think it's at least a two to three year lead that AMD will sustain over Intel. But nevertheless, with Intel having a new CEO and talking different, I think that's suppressed the stock price a little bit. The other depressant has been that a big chunk of AMD's business is on you know, the type laptops and, and desktop computers, which boomed during the lockdown. Everyone needed a new computer when they were at home. Tough comparisons. There's a viewpoint that that will mature and you'll start seeing a decline in that business. So there's been a bit of a sentiment headwind on AMD. Big picture though, when you roll it all together and again, similar to, to Amazon, and you say, I have a three to five year view of what's going to happen. We see the data center business doubling this year, doubling again within another year or two, and basically getting you to a point in 2025 or so where you have more than $5 of earnings and this view that, you know what? This lead over Intel isn't going to change. So that $25 in earnings, we would think would get a 25 plus multiple. And it's a pretty decent return over the next couple of years. So a strong long-term thesis there. And then what about for Aptiv, ticker APTV? Doesn't have the same you know, brand cachet that you have with your Amazon and AMD now in the in investing world. But Aptiv is a, you know, a supplier for the auto group and has some interesting areas that it's in from uh, safety to self-driving cars and and things like that and even though we've seen the focus from for in terms of electric vehicles really shift from the likes of tesla and a lot of the chinese automakers more into the traditional automakers this year uh how is aptive set up for success yeah, Apt is a lesser known auto supplier, which isn't a super sexy business by any means, but you just touched on the two big secular trends it's tied to. Advanced safety, so think of all the cameras that go around your car, and electric vehicles. And what Aptive does is it makes the internal electrical architecture systems that moves electricity, collects data, processes data all around the car. It's the leader and it has a big competitive advantage because it integrates both the electrical harness systems and the sensors. It's a cheaper solution. It's a more power efficient solution. And when auto manufacturers adopt any sort of you know, supplier, they basically design that supplier in for a good five to seven years. They really have to have a, a plan that, you know, this is how I'm gonna build the car over the next you know, decade or so. So it's very hard to displace a company like Aptiv once it's designed into a model. Um, if you look, over the next five years or so, electric vehicles are gonna go from about 4% of new car sales this year to about 15 to 16% by 2025. 
the number of cars with advanced safety is basically going to double from about 25 to 30 million cars a year now to over 60 million cars in 2025. And this really matters because Apton makes twice as much money, has twice as much content, two to three times actually, on these advanced safety systems and on cars with EVs. So you're looking at, even though the overall number of cars isn't expected to change very much, the content per car is going to change drastically for Apple. In addition, this is all higher margin stuff. So we think there's a real direct line of sight to $10 plus in earnings for Apple in 2024 or so. And when you get there, you're still going to have like 15% penetration in the, in, the, in the EV car market. So you're still early in the adoption cycle. There's no reason this company wouldn't get a real premium multiple on that number. And you still have a number of years to ride the, the secular trend with EVs and advanced safety. So that's the story with Apple. We're really enthusiastic. There's very little competition. It's really distinguished itself as the market leader in this technology. And so basically you're saying, if you think EVs and advanced safety is going to be a long-term trend, this is one of the best place, ways to play it uh, in the stock market, in our view. So talk a little bit more about what you think Aptiv's competitive advantages are over what Intel is offering to the major automakers. Yeah, so the mobile story is more about um, data, pro it's about certain kinds of data processing. When, the, when that data comes in, it has to go somewhere. It has to get moved around the car. It has to get put to a central processing area. And that's where Aptiv comes in. They're, they're actually quite complementary, right? You, 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 you can't have a car without the things that Aptiv offers. And so a lot of people would have Mobileye in, integrated with you know, the Aptiv you know, architecture and, and harnessing system. So they really are sort of two different ways to play the same trend, but Aptiv is a pure play, right? And, and Mobileye sort of buried within Intel and, you know, as I mentioned, I'm, we're not super enthusiastic about Intel's market position in the data center. So, you know, right. it's a little harder to play Intel for that trend. Well, thanks so much for sharing all of these insights about Aptiv. Uh, in addition to AMD and Amazon, some great food for thought for investors out there, Larry. We really appreciate you coming on the show today. It was a great discussion. Thanks for having me, Ali. I appreciate it. That's it for this week. Coming up on next week's show, we're going to have Matthew Caruso, CFA and CMT, back on the show. Looking forward to having him on. That's it for this week. Ali Corm signing off for investing with IBD. We'll see you next week. And for this week's notes and charts, make sure to go to investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.